Good morning, Calvary family. Are you ready for church today? Got the fans going? It's hot? Who's hot? Are you comfortable? Are you close? Tell your neighbor I'm ready. I'm ready to dig in. Well, I hope you're ready to dig in. May the Lord bless us this day as we open up his word and dig deep. We are in the book of Philippians. And just to keep you, uh, refresh your memory or just keep it at the front of your mind, we are journeying along with a man named Paul. And on his second journey to bring the gospel to the Gentile world, Paul, the Apostle Paul, started a church in in the city of Philippi, which was a colony of retired soldiers. And the the Philippians, they became Paul's personal friends and supporters, kind of like our interaction that we have here at church. You have pastors, and we do life together. We love each other. You know things about our life. We know things about your life. We do life together. This is the same situation here. Paul had some supporters. He loved these people, and they found out that Paul was in jail, that he got, that he got in trouble for preaching the name of Jesus. Some of our brothers and sisters around the world do the same thing, and they get in trouble as well, but they found out that they're Their mentor, their pastor, Paul, was in Rome, in jail, in chains for the gospel, and they did what a good congregation should do. They had a meeting. They had a meeting to talk about their pastor. So they came together, and and they they said, how can we help our pastor? How can we support him? So they, they wrote a letter, and they raised some money, and they gave it to a man. They picked a man out of the congregation. His name was Epaphroditus, and he went to Rome, and he brought this gift to Paul. And Paul was moved by the generosity of the church. He was moved by the, the people that, that loved him and that did life with him. And uh, he wrote a letter back, and he sent it back with Epaphroditus. And the re- letter that we read from the Bible in the book of Philippians is that letter that was sent back, that thank you letter to the church. And today we're going to pick up a, a section where Paul is talking to the, to the church that he loves, he cares for, and, he's, and he refers to his own life and the trials that are going on in his life as some hope for his congregation to not give up in times of hard seasons. And like many of us in this, in this room here today, we could be in a hard season, we, be, we could be coming out of a hard season, we could be going into a hard season Trials are going to come for us as followers of Christ. And Paul is sharing with us that, that there is hope. There is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. So he appeals with his own life as an example of how to follow and how to respond in hardship, in hard times with joy. Paul is chained to the guards and he is faithfully proclaiming Jesus as Lord. See, here's what happens sometimes we as followers of Christ when things get rough and our situations begin to blow up in our minds and blow up in our families. We forget about Jesus and we make the topic or the stress or the things that we are anxious about the main thing. And Paul's saying, hey, during this time of hardship, make Jesus the main thing. That's what I'm doing. I'm having major effect on on the whole palace guard. Everybody knows that I am in chains for who? Not for Paul, for Jesus Christ. And he says, take that example in your own life and go into your neighborhoods and go into your families and go into your workplaces. And when it's rough, Jesus. He is the name above all other names. And last week, Pastor Kelvin, how many of you were here last week? How many of you heard that sermon? That was a good sermon, amen? Amen. Pastor Kelvin was being used by by God, by his spirit, and he proclaimed such a great sermon. I know it touched many hearts. I came back from 
uh, vacation and uh, I watched the sermon because today's sermon is part two of that sermon. So when you look at the text, we know we have breakdowns of verses and chapters, but if we were just to take out the verse and chapters, that sermon and this sermon are uh, part one, part two together. So Pastor Calvin and I are tag teaming today. And, it, and, it's, and it's amazing to see that in last week's sermon, Pastor Calvin was talking about, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is ear. Don't be anxious about everything, but with everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request to the Lord. And what happens? The peace that passes all our understanding will guard your heart. Paul takes us a next step. He goes from the Lord is near to the, to the peace of God, to the God of peace being in the very situation that you're walking through. So this is the progression that we're going to see in today's sermon. Are you ready? Let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we know you've done much work here this morning, much work in preparation to getting this building ready, much work in preparation of getting songs selected, much preparation in getting your word ready, and much preparation in preparing the hearts for your word today. We know, God, that your word never, ever goes out void, and that lives will change here today just because we are saying, as Pastor Kellen said, the name of Jesus. And I know as I'm speaking right now, there is a speaker outside that is going out to the, to the community. And God, we want to be a church that is not afraid to speak the name of Jesus in our community. So God, I pray that you would help us today, that you would give us courage to take the steps needed in our lives to change things, that you would give us boldness to, to move situations out of the way so that we will be able to proclaim the name of Jesus. And I pray that you give us teachable hearts today as we look at your word. Just ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. I'm going to read that scripture. If you have a Bible, won't you turn, that, turn to that right now? Or if you're on an electronic device, I'll give you a couple seconds to get that open. So Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Paul starts this part of the sermon or part of the scripture with the word finally. Finally, brothers and sisters, meaning he's talking to the church, he's talking to us here today. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, he says, what? Think. Think about these. Think about these things. He goes on to say in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into what? Practice. You are following along. Praise the Lord. And the God of what? Peace will be with you. This is the word of God. May he add a blessing to the reading of it today. Paul is teaching two very important lessons to his church and to us here today. And before we jump in and extract and exegete and pull out the application and try to fit it into our own lives and how, how it works out for us, I want to tell you two things that Paul is not teaching. Paul is not teaching two things. He's not teaching the power of the positive word or positive thinking, the power of positive thinking. I don't know if you've heard of that. Maybe you have. It's in business and in churches now in the States. I said that this morning, and someone from the States who attended church came up and said, yep, yep, that's what we're doing. We talk about this. Thank you for preaching the word of God. I said, thank you for telling me that that's what churches are doing because it's wrong, and we need to preach against it. So he's not preaching about the power of positive thinking. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. And the second thing he's not doing, he's not giving us the license to do the what is true for you is it may not be true for me theory of relativism. 
He's not doing that. So this, this power of positive thinking, which I would say is heresy, which I would say is counter-gospel, which I would say is, is not truth at all, is when you are going through a hard situation and you get before yourself or you get before a, me- a mirror and you, and, you, and you preach at the mirror until your situation changes in a positive way. Like, whatever I'm feeling must be true. I would say that is a lie because on a daily basis, my body wants to go against me. Is there any amenors in there? Like, like I, I've started a new season of fitness, and, like, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry all the time, and my body does not say, stop eating. It says, no, you need to eat. You are hungry. And I know I'm not hungry because my body, I feel hungry, but my body's lying to me. But sometimes when we get in this, this mode, we can go to the, to, to the mirror, and, and this is what we're seeing. People will go, and they'll, they'll say, I'm not sick, even though they're sick. I'm not sick. Today, I'm not sick. I don't have cancer in my body. And if I just think a certain way, that cancer will go away. And the doctor's like, no, it won't. You need some help. You need some treatment. You need some medicine. But they'll go to the mirror and say, no, 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 I'm not sick. And if I just think a certain way, it'll just be okay. And then when their body starts to break down and it's betraying them because they're not taking care of it, what do they do? They start, if they're followers of Christ and they're preaching the power of positive thinking, they, they walk away from Christ. They walk away from the truth. They say, well, maybe the truth works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Because it doesn't seem to be working at this moment. And that's where I would say that it is false. The word of God is powerful. It's sharp. Amen. It will help us when we understand it in the right context and the right application. So that was the first thing. Second thing he's not doing, he's not giving us a license for the individual to set the degree or level of truth. Love, nobility, knowledge, because that's what we do sometimes in our church. We'll say, well, this is the definition from truth, and then we'll throw, like, the Greek in. We're like, this is what the Greek says. So that makes, it, that makes it right, even when it's wrong. They'll just, sometimes pastors and preachers and people in the community and lay leaders, they can twist what truth is to fit their own agenda. And Paul's saying, you can't do that. That's not what I'm saying. He says, you can't twist it. You have to actually know what is true, what is lovely, what is admirable, and then think about those things. Two things Paul is teaching from the text today. First thing, Christians need to develop and maintain the practice of thinking like a Christ follower. That's the first thing. Christians need to develop and maintain the practice of thinking like a Christ follower. We need to think like Christ. We have to have the mindset of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, growing in the likeness of him, growing in sanctification, coming here, you need to have your mind the same way Christ would have his mind. Thinking about his father and what he is doing, we're going to flesh that out in a little bit. The second thing is that Christians need to have solid leaders and role models in their life to learn from. Christians need these solid leaders, whether it be a pastor, a lay leader, a DC group leader, a deacon. You need to have people who are leading in your own family. Fathers, moms, you need to step up. You need to set that example for the kids who are coming up today. So the second thing he's saying, Christians need to have solid leaders and role models in their life to learn from. Here's the danger. The I don't know how. Have you ever heard that? Have your kids ever given that excuse? I don't know how to do that. I don't, know, I don't know what you mean. That doesn't fly in the kingdom of Christ when you have leaders who are teaching the, the truth, who are following hard after God. You, you can say that to us. That's one thing. You can't say that to Jesus because he's going to look at you and say, what do you mean you didn't, you didn't know? You, 
Like, based on your attendance record at Calvary Baptist Church and Calvary Campus number two, I saw you there that day. Thanks for coming to church today. I know that you heard this stuff. I know that we talked about this stuff. I know that my spirit was talking to you about this. So that can't be an excuse. So Paul is instructing both the Philippians and us here, the Philippian church and us today to fill our minds with things that inspire worship to God and service to others. He's saying these are the types of things that you got to think about. You want to worry less? You want to have less anxiety? You're in a season of depression? Start to think about things like this. Get yourself around people who are like this. See, the church is called ecclesia. It means actually, it actually translates to called out ones. It means ones who are called out into darkness, into marvelous light, who gather in the name of Christ to celebrate the work of Christ. And that's what we're doing here today. We're, we're called out ones, coming together to open up God's word, to understand it, to put it in our lives so that our lives will change. And when we talk about progressive sanctification, doctrinal word, it means that we are being changed in the likeness of Christ. And that starts with your mind. So two important questions here today. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Look back over the last week and, and just recall what you've been thinking about and who you're following. Following. Back to the what are you thinking about? Are, are you thinking about bills? Are you thinking about finances? Are you thinking about vacation? Like maybe you haven't had vacation yet and you want to go on vacation. You're like, let's get this week over so I can get on vacation. What are you thinking about? What is dominating your thought life? And who are you following? Who are you adding into your life? Who are you listening to? And, as, and, and you have to think about what they're saying. Is it moving you towards Christ or away from Christ? You have to evaluate those two things. You need to take notice of what you're thinking about, who's talking to you, who is filling your head with things and with the things that are being filled in your head, what is the quality and the quantity of those things, and then you have to determine if they're growing you, to, pushing you towards Christ or pushing you away from Christ. And by that level of degree, you have to make a decision. Do I stay in disobedience or do I take the necessary steps to walk in the likeness of Christ? It's all, all of us have to go through that that routine, that exercise. There is a reason when you come to the church and you ask to meet with a pastor, we say, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Are you fasting? There is a reason why we say that because that is the remedy. That is, that is the remedy for what is wrong. But this is what we have done. We have taken the power of the simple gospel and we have stripped it away. And we believe that prayer does not work. We believe that sitting and spending time with God's word and reading it, that's not the answer. I need a 15-step program. The power of the simple gospel is, is there for each of us. Don't overcomplicate talking to Jesus. Don't overcomplicate reading God's word. And here's a little trick that I, I kind of teach our young adults. The, the Bible usually answers itself as you go along. We will read the Bible and not understand, so we'll write down our question, and then, the, then we'll stop reading, and we'll go try to find the answer. Keep reading. The Bible will answer itself. The Bible will tell you the question or the answer to the question that you have, and if it doesn't, come see us. But don't stop reading. Keep reading. So there's a reason. So for... A gospel-centered life, we need to focus on Christ 
and the cross, backed by reading and meditation of his word, lived out in community. That is the prescription for the weary heart of the Christian. That is the prescription for the weary heart of the Christian. You're weary today? You feel like you got the weight, on the weight of the world? You were impacted by Pastor Calvin's sermon last week about anxiety and where your focus is? Paul goes on to the next step and he says, hey, we got to do some things together. It's great that you heard that message, but now we have to take some action steps together as a church to make sure that we're moving from anxiety to praiseworthy times. So let's read it. Let's jump in. By the word finally, Paul indicates that he's about to conclude this section. He's going to take us into the, the application of, the, of what he's been saying. He's been talking about being anxious. He's been talking about the absence of peace. He's been talking about uh, the Lord is near. He's been talking about being gentle with people. Sometimes we're not gentle with people. We just want to rip a strip off them. He says, don't do that. It's not good. He's, he's also talking about the action step list that is coming up, which is six thought. It's a sixth, six items are mentioned as objects of wholesome thought life. For those who want less anxiety and depression in their life, the peace that passes all understanding, the strength to press on even though it's difficult, you need to think like a follower of Christ. And here's just a warning from the pulpit. Our actions, our thinking and our actions are closely bound together and indulging in evil thinking or sloppy thinking, maybe you're not cross the line into evil thinking, but maybe you're sloppy with your thinking, it will have consequences. The, the root issue, when we dig, dig, dig down, usually when there's a lot of depression and anxiety, is a focus on what you're thinking about. There is a connection. And one of the things that I've learned as an early Christian is that there is a connection between our thought mind, our thought process, and our heart. And the Bible often says or talks about our heart. And when we read that, we're not always reading. That's why you have to, to study the context. We're not always reading about the muscle in your body. Sometimes the Bible describes the heart as uh, the inner being, the will, or the mind. Jesus said this. He said, this which proceeds out of man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, and all, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. That's Mark 7, 20 to 23. So no one commits these outward sins without first thinking about it. Jesus, in his first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, talks about you're, you're, you want, you're hating on your brother. It's like you're murdering your brother. You're thinking about that woman. It's like you're committing adultery with that woman. It starts with your mind. But the opposite is always true as well. It starts with your mind. So you want to change the, the implications of your life? Start with your mind. Move to your heart. That's what Paul's talking about. So he gives this list of six. Give me a six. I want to see you paying attention with me. Give me a list of six. We're going to go to six whatevers. And I don't want you to say, whatever, pastor. It's six whatevers. And we're going to focus on these things. And I'm going to kind of fly through them because we're running out of a little bit of time. So let's go. The six whatevers. The first one is whatever is true. And whatever is true is the opposite of whatever is dishonest or unreliable. And when I take my Greek lexicon, I was just talking about looking it up in the Greek, but I still do that as a pastor to make sure that I am on point. It says this about truth. When you're thinking about truth, you got to think about God. Because God himself is the only final test for truth. Since he is unchanging, the moral standard revealed in his word, 
which stems from his holy, holy nature, is also unchanging. It applies to every culture in every age. John 3, 33 attests, God is true. As Paul writes to Titus, who is in Crete, the creations, they were known as, as Cretans were known as notorious liars. He says, God cannot lie. And he has made his, new, his truth known by, by his word. Jesus also claimed for himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we're thinking about what is true, when Paul says to his church, and I say to us here today, whatever is true, we got to think about God and his holy nature and what he has done. And we have to wrap our minds around those things on a daily basis. But there's a warning here. We also must resist the pragmatism of our culture, which determines true by whatever works. If it's easy and it works, it must be true. And we know by God's word that sometimes he takes us through the hard parts. Amen? It's not always one step in front of the other. It's sometimes one step, two shuffle steps, one back step, one jump forward. God works it out a little bit that way. It's not A plus B equals C every time. And it's different for each person. So we have to think about whatever is true. Make a list of those things. We got to wrap our minds around those things. He goes on and he says, whatever is honorable. When we break that word down, we think about that word. It's whatever brings awe or reverence or inspires us. This word is also given, to a given as a qualification for deacons and elders. They must have this sense of reverence, this sense of difference. They must be different from others. See, the, the, the lay leader, the deacon, the elder, they can't have a life that's all fun and jokes and games all the time. They have to set an example, and Paul will talk about this a little bit later. He'll say, look at your leaders. Look, how, look at my life. Look how I lived it and take example of that. So when he's saying whatever is honorable, he's saying look at those things that are around you in your, in your church, in your ministry, those people, those things, and think about those things. Back in the 90s when I became a Christian, well, I became a Christian in the 2000s, but I remember in the 90s, it kind of came over. Do you remember that what would Jesus do bracelet? Like, man, you gotta, we need that again. Sometimes we're like, I don't know what Jesus would do. <laughs> Jesus would do this. And we'd run after it, and then we're like, uh-oh, we in trouble. Jesus wouldn't do that. I wish I had my bracelet. Like, sometimes we make decisions that are not honorable, are not in, inspiring to others. And Paul says, that's what we got to think about. Christians developing and maintaining the practice of thinking like a Christ follower need to think about Christ and how great his love is and how powerful his word is. You need to search the word of God and determine the noble and honorable characteristics given and, get, and then make a list and then think about them. Like back in the East Coast when I was a youth pastor, I had a deacon who would come in every week. Friday night was our youth ministry night. Same as we do here on Thursdays. I always have a time where we gather the leaders together. We pray for the night. We kind of go through the order. It's great. He would always come in a half an hour early, sit at the back, and he would have a, a bunch of highlighters going through the Bible. And one day I went back and asked him, I said, what are you doing? He says, I am highlighting every promise in the Bible for the Christian given to us. And then he looked up, he flicked his Bible like this, and it looked like the rainbow because there are so many promises to God's people. But how many of us know them? So that's what I'm saying here is like maybe we have to take a, make a list, go on a journey and figure it out, figure them out. And then when things get rough, we stop ourselves and we go to these things and we begin to think about them. What is right? The word is used for God himself who is righteous and of Jesus Christ. Those, thus we are to be righteous people. They set the example. We follow in the likeness of them. John writes, little children, let no one deceive you. 
All that who practice righteousness is, are righteous, is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. He just jumps right to it. The one who practices sin, who gets in the habit of just practicing, is of the devil. But to think, we need to think of, of what is right and think, to the, and think on the holy nature of God, especially as revealed in the person of Jesus, and then model our behavior after him. For some of us, our behavior does not model Jesus. When people we know and love look at us, they don't see Jesus. They see me. They see you. And some of us need to take some, make some tweaks so that we start making decisions, thinking, and making our actions line up with what Christ would want us to do. And it's not that hard. He actually lists, gives us examples in the Bible so we can do it together. It, it can be done, and it should be done. He goes on and says, whatever is pure, and when he's talking about whatever is pure, it's a reference to ceremonially pure. Back in the Old Testament, Leviticus, they had these rituals that they had to be pure. They have to be uh, clean before they came before an all-holy God. He says, whatever is pure, think about those things. He says, don't spend time on the internet looking at pornography. That makes your thought life unpure. He says, spend time thinking about things that are pure, things that are honorable to God. Bible says things like taking care of widows and orphans. Think about those things, how you can inspire others, how you can get involved, how you can serve at your local church. Think about those things. Those things are pure. He goes in number five, what is lovely. It's, this is the only occurrence ever in the New Testament of this word, lovely. And it means admirable or attractive. It, not admirable, attractive. And usually when we think of the word attractive, we're like, oh, that guy's hot. Or that girl's hot. So is hell. Think about it. But we use it in a negative way and not in a positive way. And what this word is talking about, when Paul is saying this, he's, he's referring it to Jesus. Because Jesus is attractive. He's attracting. And when I think about attractable Jesus, I'm not talking about the white Jesus with the long flowy hair that we put on the wall sometimes. I'm not talking about that. But for someone who is broken in need of grace, who is going through a rough time, and you hear the word of God, it's attractive. It's attractive. You want... You want to go to that. I remember my, my own personal journey. I heard the word of God being preached, talking about grace in a service. I just came to the front. It was attracting me. And that's what he's saying. Whatever is lovely, he's saying, think of Jesus Christ. He is inherently attractive. And we should think often of our lovely Savior who bared our sins upon the cross so that we could have life and life now and life to come. He says, think about those things. Get your mind wrapped around that. And he goes on to the sixth and says, whatever is admirable. Admirable relates to the positive and constructive rather than the negative and destructive. And for some reason in our culture and sometimes in church, we get stuck in this record loop of just thinking on the negative, thinking on the destructive. Sometimes we'll look at our brothers and sisters and we won't have any joy for them that the Lord is working in their life. We'll have jealousy instead I don't know why we do that. And I'm guilty of this as well. Like, God, I want God to work on my heart. I want joy and abundant joy. So when something is being celebrated in Pastor Kelvin's life, I want to run beside him and say, Kelvin, I'm thanking the Lord for what he's doing in your life. I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited for what God is doing in our local church. And I'm not 
I'm not playing this huge part. It's a, a little tiny part on the side, but I'm celebrating all the goodness that God is doing. That's what he's talking about, admirable. He says, think about these things. Does your conversations often, when you're talking, are they negative about another person in your family, in your church? Here's the warning. Paul is giving the warning. If you keep doing this, it will destroy you. you you're anxious and maybe depressed. And maybe this is not the, the, the ultimate trigger, but there could be something there. Think about your brothers and sisters in a better way. Come alongside them and love on them. And if they're not at the place they need to be, don't come in kicking. Let your gentleness be evident. Walk in with grace and love and restore. God has given us the gift of reconciliation. Let's exercise it in the church with our brothers and sisters. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. These six objects of thought are often described as excellent and praiseworthy in our scripture. You want to win the battle in your mind? Practice these things. Practice them. Not just think about, okay, that's a great list. Practice them. Put into practice the things that are being said here. Get into the habit of holy thinking about God, his church, his promises, and then move it into action. Get into the local church. Start serving. Start being a, the hands and feet. If you're not, and I know there's so many in this room that do that already, and they probably will meet with you and say and testify that how God is really working in their life because they are serving. But we have to get into the habit to practice these things. And Paul moves on to the next part in verse 9, and he says this. He, he goes on from the teaching to the church. Not only does the Christian life involve proper thinking, but it also includes righteous deeds. It includes righteous deeds. Since the Philippians knew Paul well, he could say, follow my example. Paul was not the pastor that would hide in his office. He was the one that was in the marketplace, sewing things together, doing life with people. They saw people come against him. They saw Paul preaching the gospel. They saw those, he had little moments with people in his church where they had little huddles where he counseled them through things. This was the type of person Paul was. So when he says, follow my example, a lot of us can look at that passage and say, wow, man, he is being prideful. What do you think, you got it all together, Paul? No, Paul's speaking into the life of people that he knew really well, and he said, guys, look at my life. Whatever you've seen from me, we've heard. Do these things. They saw the apostles' conduct. He was with them. And he taught them about Jesus, the God-man who died for the sins of the world. They saw how hard Paul worked among them and how he loved and treated people who opposed him. Even in the hard times when Paul could have just cried all defense, he didn't. It's in his words that we hear in Corinthians, when I am weak, he is strong. Paul said that. And he says, whatever you see, follow after me because I'm following after Christ. It's really not about me. It's not really about a pastor at the front. It's always, always about Jesus Christ. And if it's not, you'll see. You'll see the fruit will show itself. So that's a, that's a warning to us. We read that, like, we, we better be on point with our conduct before the Lord. 
In our weakness, he is made strong. So the question is, we, we always have to ask the question when we're reading this, how does this apply? I would ask the question for myself and for us here today, who is, that a great, who is the great example for you? Like, the great example always will be Christ for us. But the, who is the, the on-earth living person that is in your life that you're following after? That you're looking at their conduct and you're saying, okay, all right, they're doing things that way. I'm doing things this way. I need to change a little bit to line up to that way because they're following after Christ hard. So who are those people for you? Who are the Pauls in your life that are running after Christ, learning and living this grace that has been given, fleshing it out? Beloved, we need to take notice of those people who are living and displaying correct doctrine and correct church practice and imitate them. Because one, we have to renew our mind, be in the word and know God's word because there are many who will come who will twist God's word. There are many who will knock on the door and say, hey, I love Jesus too. And sometimes we fall prey to that because we want not Jesus, we want community. We want to be loved. But find community in your local church. Beyond having a proper spiritual outlook, the church of Philippi was commanded to practice what they saw Paul doing. And as they made progress in this way, they would not just find the peace of God that we talked about last week, they would actually have the God of peace with them. You see, it's a progression. You see, when you're new in your faith and you're going through stuff and you're struggling, God doesn't leave us out on our own. When we're anxious, Paul says the Lord is near. And he deposits in our life this peace that is beyond all understanding. Like, I love that peace. When all hell seems to be breaking loose, if I can say it like that, God's peace shows up. And instead of freaking out and running down the street like a distraught person, we just sit calmly because we have this peace. So God doesn't leave us hanging. But as we grow in the likeness of Christ and as we renew our minds, as we think about these things, what does God do? We have an assurance that it's not just the peace of God, it's the God of peace. So when we're in a situation, when it's hard, when the storm is, it, or, uh, is hitting, we are anchored to Christ and we say, yeah, the God of peace is with me. Yeah, this is a hard time. And some of the things that are happening in our family, some of the things that are happening at this moment are out of my control, but huh, praise the Lord for the God of peace who will never leave me or forsake me. And we don't look for a feeling, we stand upon the truth. And he is with us, helping us. So as I, I finish up, I want to finish up saying this. For all who act according to the teaching, the one who combines correct Christian doctrine and the practical application of developing a proper thought life and by taking careful inventory to those who they are learning from will not only experience the peace of God, but those people will have this gracious promise that God of peace will be with them. No, not only the peace of God, will they experience, but the God of peace himself who is and will always be the source of all spiritual blessing. His peace and promise, Christ alone, our cornerstone, in him I will trust alone. I will not trust in my feeling. I will not trust in my own definition of truth, but I will trust in the true life giver himself. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, we just thank you for, for this day as we are able to come. Uh, little, little different venue, same great God. God, thank you for that. Thank you that we were able to just open up your word. And, and we know that your word, like I said, doesn't go out void. And God, we just pray that, that you would help us to know and understand you even more. God, I pray that over the next season to come, this fall season, that we would really think hard about your word and we would take steps necessary to change our patterns so that we are at the maximum place of growth in your kingdom. God, help us to know you even more as we worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful words, spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. May that be true in our lives that we are continually looking for what God is saying and what he has said in his word and applying it to our lives. This week when you came in, hopefully you got one of these. There's some on the back. Um, I put two questions for us this week. This week I'll set my mind towards these things and you fill it in. Second one is this week I'll put these things into practice so that our, our lives are lining up with what God would want, just like the word is in the song, Spirit of the Living God, will you have your way? And I want to challenge us as a congregation from the pastoral staff, this is not for me only, but it's from our pastoral staff, that you would think about this last statement. Take a moment and make an action plan for the fall season. Fall season is going to start very soon. We're going to have a lot of celebrations, 90th anniversary. But maybe the action plan this year was that you would do the one 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 that you would attend one worship service, either at 9 or 11, that you would serve somewhere in the church, and that you would attend a DC. Because we believe that for maximum discipleship growth, we need to do these three things. And a lot of us do one of those things or two of those things, and the ones who are doing three, you can see it. There's fruit being bared in our lives. So our challenge as a pastoral staff that, that you as a family or you as an individual would make that action plan this year. That coming up in September when all the dates and the, and the moments are available, that you would sign up for a DC group and that you would pick a service, 9 or 11, that you will faithfully come. Not once every three weeks or four weeks or five weeks, but you would come every week and do life with us as a family. That is the challenge that's gonna go out here today. I pray that God would allow us to answer that challenge. And if you need any prayer, if you're going through something, your pastoral staff will be up at the front. We love you so very much. Thanks for bearing with us this week as we did church over here. Next week, we'll be back over there. Have a blessed Sunday. May you draw closer to the Lord. Amen.